that nothing is impossible for God. That God can work in and through the circumstances that you find yourself in, in a way that might be impossible for humans, but it's not impossible for God. Jeremiah chapter 32 verse 17 says something almost exactly the same. He says, Ah, Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arms. There is nothing too hard for you. You've heard it said that a true test of faith comes when God is moving you in a direction that goes against your own desires. And few are a greater example of humility and obedience than Mary. In today's teaching, we'll hear how this woman accepted God's plan for her and whatever trials would come. Now here's Pastor Daniel in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verse 34, with part two of his message entitled, A Crisis Pregnancy. Check out this amazing promise, this promise of hope. Look at what it says. It says, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. So it begins with the promise of a child. It begins with a child. But now check out this child. This is not any ordinary child. Look what it says. It says, He will be great. That speaks of unqualified greatness. The child that marries to have, he will be great and will be called the son of the highest. Not only unqualified greatness, but now divine sonship. He's going to be called the son of the most high God. Divine sonship. Then from there, look at what it says. It says, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. This is the Messiah. This is the promise, the hope of Israel right here. This young child who is going to be given to Mary is going to be the Messiah. He's going to sit on the throne of his father, David. That's why the Bible makes so many important points about genealogies. You ever wonder why all those genealogies are in your Bible? You know, those lists of names? They're in there for a lot of reasons, but maybe the most important reason for us today is to realize that God has made promises to Abraham and to David, and God's saying, look, I'm going to keep all these family trees so that you'll all know that Jesus is the, is the promised one who fulfills all of these things. It's one of the main reasons the genealogies are in there. Because God cares about people. And God wants us to say, listen, Jesus is not some pie-in-the-sky mythological figure. This was all very well planned, and God gave us all the proper information. Do you think whoever compiled the first five books realized how important all those lists of names were? Do you realize whoever wrote all the different genealogies along the way for whatever reason, do you think they even realized that where this thing was going to end up? Because the last two genealogies you have in your Bible are in the Gospels. And they point us right to Jesus. It's amazing. When you get to those lists of names, just be like, oh, yeah, these are awesome. And if you're ever looking for kids' names, it's way to go. Way to go. It's really good. But Jesus is the Messiah. We talked about this last week, 2 Samuel 7. The fulfillment of the Davidic covenant. 
So notice, you have this child, unqualified greatness, divine sonship. You have the promise of the Messiah. And then verse 33, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And this speaks of the eternal reign of Jesus. That not only will he be the Messiah over the house of David, but his kingdom will have no end. And brothers, sisters, I'll be straight up honest with you. That is why I believe in Jesus. That's why. Because if Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords over every kingdom, then I am more than happy to jump on his bandwagon. Because being on the opposing party to the guy who's the King of kings, whose kingdom has no end, just makes no sense at all. It doesn't make, and I have no problem saying it's like, if Jesus didn't have an eternal reign, then why follow him? If Satan were going to have an eternal reign, then we should follow him. If a president or a, a political figure were to have an eternal reign, then follow them. Absolutely. If you know that the victor, who that is before the, the battle happens, then you join that team. Because nobody wants to be mopped up on the losing team. And I'm here to tell you, because, and I realize how this rolls, and I've talked about this here at Crossroads before. For some of you, you've been spending so much time on the opposite team that you feel like, oh man, if I come to Jesus, what are people going to say? Oh, you're jumping the bandwagon? Absolutely, you're jumping the bandwagon. It's smart to be on that bandwagon. It makes sense to be on that bandwagon because Jesus' reign is eternal. His kingdom has no end. And if you have not bowed your knee in your heart to Jesus and say, look, you're the king and I am not, and I may like some other things, but you're the king. If you don't bow that knee, that's just flat out not smart. If you go into the garage and, and there's a thing that says, listen, um, death will happen if you drink this. If you drink it, is that smart? No. And if you were to try and drink it, someone see you, they, they would be right to give you a whop on the head and be like, come on, use your brain. And I'm here to tell you, whop, use your brain. <laughs> and I mean it in all love and sincerity, like use your brain. If he has an eternal reign, if he's the divine son, if he's the promised Messiah and he has unqualified greatness, then you want to follow that guy because nobody else in the history of humanity has ever had that said about him. Not by other people, not by angels, not by the people who followed him. It's the only logical position. So because there's a concerning greeting, then there's this promise of hope. Now look at what happens in verse 34. It says, then Mary said to the angel, how can this be? Since I don't know a man. And the angel said, answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also, that holy one who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who was barren. So now we see that this is a crisis pregnancy. There's our next C. It's a crisis pregnancy. Mary hears this promise about a son. And she says, how can this be? I've never known a man. I've never had sexual intercourse with a man before. How, how is this possible? And remember, we've been talking about this. She's betrothed to Joseph. It's never been consummated. She's called a virgin in Matthew's gospel and in Luke's gospel. Now, I want to I wanna deal with the elephant in the room first. Okay. Some people say that I can't believe the Bible because I do not believe it's possible to have a virgin birth. Right? I'm sure there's some of you here, you're saying to yourself, no way. 
I, how could I believe in a virgin birth? Now, I'm here to tell you that the reason you can't believe it is because you don't want to believe it because we could do it right now. Not us, not in that way. But this is scientifically plausible. Let me explain to you how. There's something called in vitro fertilization. You can take an egg out of a woman. You can take a sperm out of a man. They never have to be joined in the physical oneness that comes from the love between a man and a woman through the guise of marriage. You go stick them in a Petri dish at the right temperature, and then you can insert that into a woman. She never has to know a man. She can be pregnant. And if science can figure out how to do it with a Petri dish and some microscopes, then I'm sure that God who created them could do it without them. Make sense? Those of you who like apologetics, you like that one. You're like, I'm going to remember that. That's real good, Fusco. I'm going to write that one down. It's true, though. If we believe that science can do it with a Petri dish and some microscopes, then why can God do it without all those things? See, all of our issues with the miracles of the Bible are not real issues. They're just, we just don't want to have to believe in it. Say, like people say, I don't believe in the parting of the Red Sea. Who can believe that the, that the walls were like walls of water beside them? How's that possible? I go to an aquarium. How many of you got to an aquarium? You look around, there's sharks and there's jellyfish. You're like, whoa, and you're not getting eaten for lunch. And if we could figure out how to do it with technologies like dams and things, then if we can figure out how to do it with all bricks and mortar, then why can't God figure out how to do it without all those things? He's God. See, all of our issues with the miracles, we can figure out how to do most. Now, of course, those of you who are discerning skeptics, like, what about the sun going back on the sundial? And only God can do that. We can't figure out how to do that one. But God can. This is a crisis pregnancy. Why? This is a betrothed. So she's legally married, but she's never consummated the marriage. She's going to become pregnant. And we saw last week from Matthew chapters 1 and 2, didn't we see that, of course, Joseph was trying to figure out how to divorce her in a private way so she wouldn't be held to public scorn. So this is a textbook crisis pregnancy. She's like, she's like, listen, this sounds all great. I like being a highly favored one. Awesome. But I've never known a man. How is this possible? And this was long before the days of in vitro fertilization or whatever other fertility gigs we have going on today. So look at what the angel says. And I don't want to overstep these things, the text, but look what it says. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also, that Holy Spirit, or that Holy One who is to be born, will be called the Son of God. So notice these phrases that you have about how this is going to happen. It says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you first. The power of the highest will overshadow you. Now... It's amazing the things that people can come up with. You take these two phrases and you come up with this whole extravagant way that this happens. But the idea here is that the Holy Spirit coming upon and the power of the highest overshadowing you, it, it speaks of an active force, an active presence. In a lot of ways, the idea of being overshadowed is an absolute reminder about the cloud covering that we've seen all through the Old Testament. The idea, it, it speaks of protection. It speaks of protection. So we know already biblically you have this idea of, it, of protection, but then if you think back to the creation account, the spirit hovering over the face of the deep, and then what happens? Creation happens. So I don't want to overstep how this happens. I know some of you are like, hey, Fusco, how do you think this happened? All I know is that when the spirit is active in someone's life, the spirit becomes creative. And so this is some sort of a divine, divine creation that God is doing. 
that Mary, it's not some sort of crude, a God had intercourse with a human woman. It's none of that. Not anywhere near it. These phrases are delicate. They're eloquent. But what we find is that however this happens, the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Do you notice the angel Gabriel says the Holy One who is to be born? Don't miss that. This child is a holy child. But this is a crisis pregnancy. She's, in that culture, women got married very, very young. Most likely Mary was either third, probably between 12 and 15. That was the, the age of marriage in that culture. So she was a teenager. She was, could be divorced because she was pregnant before the marriage was consummated. This is textbook crisis pregnancy. Textbook. This would be a total... And you have to realize that in their culture, the communities were very close-knit. You think your community is close-knit where everyone knows everything? That community, that's all they had. People weren't moving around all over those. People were very settled. Everybody knew everything about everything that was going on. And a child born in that community before a marriage was consummated, man, talk about the rumor mill. My goodness. This would be a total mess for Mary. But notice what happens. In verse 36, we get that Elizabeth has also conceived in her old age. So the angel Gabriel is saying, look, this is a miraculous thing. Elizabeth is also pregnant. She's been waiting for a long time. And your pregnancy is going to be miraculous as well. And then verse 37, for with God, nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So just as you had a concerning greeting, and then you get a promise of hope, then you have a crisis pregnancy, and now you have the power of God. You have the power of God. Look at what it says. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Those are seven simple words in English. Nothing is impossible for God. And just like I said before, do we really believe that? Do we really believe that nothing is impossible for God? That God can work in and through the circumstances that you find yourself in in a way that might be impossible for humans, but it's not impossible for God. Jeremiah chapter 32 verse 17 says something almost exactly the same. He says, ah, Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arms. There is nothing too hard for you. I believe we need to grab hold of this stuff. Like, I mean, you guys have heard this before. If you've been in church at all, you've definitely heard a pastor say, hey, listen, nothing's too hard for God. With men, it's impossible. With God, all things are possible. You know what nothing means? Nothing. It means no thing. No thing is too hard for God. And I believe we need to take that heart position in the situations we find ourselves in. But you know, nothing's impossible for God. And I believe that we need to believe in the God of the, it's all possible. God can do anything. He's saying, Mary, listen, nothing's impossible. Nothing's impossible. With me, all things have a possibility. We want to put periods and exclamation marks at the end of sentences that God just got three, three dots. It's continuing. God wants to do amazing things. It's not finished yet. And I love Mary's response here. Because look at verse 38. Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. 
Now, Mary's response is one of simple, quiet submission. And so, remember I I had talked about that Hail Mary prayer and how how the first stanza comes right out of Luke chapter 1? Well, if you know the prayer, the second stanza goes, Hail Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now in the hour of our salvation. Now, you know what the problem with that is? That's nowhere to be found in the Bible. You're never going to find Hail Mary, Mother of God. And I believe, you know, I grew up with a Catholic background. It's such an error to believe that Mary was the Mother of God. Because if God were to have a mother, he wouldn't be God. Mary was the mother of Jesus' humanity, not his divinity. Because divinity can have no mother. Wouldn't be God. So what happens is, is that when you don't take seriously what the Bible was saying, then you say, Hail Mary, mother of God. And then if she is the mother of God, then you would want her to pray for you. Because listen, if you ever want something from someone, you talk to their mom, right? We all learned that when we were growing up. You know, I remember when my friends, like when Commodore 64s were out, my friend wouldn't give me the video game. I wouldn't try and talk to my friend. I'd go talk to his mom. Hey, Johnny won't let me play the video game. I knew I was getting on it in two seconds flat. <laughs> Smart, right? Just go talk to someone's mom, right? And so, so if you believe that Mary is the mother of God, then yeah, you might want to pray to her because she might have an in because she's, she's mom. But Mary's not the mother of God. She's the mother of Jesus' humanity. But because of that, what I would consider to be unbiblical position, bad theology, we have a tendency in non-Catholic circles to treat Mary as a second-class citizen, which I think might be equally wrong. Because Mary is a beautiful, a beautiful example, a beautiful example of submission. Behold, the slave girl of the Lord. That's what handmaiden was. Let it be according to your word. She simply comes and says, yes, Lord. Okay. So I don't want to fall off of one side or the other side of the horse on Mary. We should all seek in some ways to be like Mary because Mary was willing to submit herself to the will of God, willing to serve. A slave girl never told the master what to do, just simply did what was asked. And If there's one thing we need more than ever, it's God's people to treat God as the master and be bond servants. We're so good at saying, no, Lord. No, thank you, God. I will not do that. Yes, I know your word says to forgive, but you don't get it, Lord. You don't understand what it is. Lord, I know you're asking me to step out in faith and roll up my sleeves and take a box, even though I don't really like doing that, like helping people out things. I'd much rather talk about Jesus than help anybody. I'm not saying anyone's really thinking that here, but you can understand where I'm going with it. We need to be simply submissive to God. We need to say, okay, Lord, as you would have it, Lord. And Mary's a beautiful example of that. Now, we have one last pairing. Look at what happens in verse 39. Now, Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah. And entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary and the babe leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Spirit, with the Holy Spirit. Now notice what you have here. Now you have a compassionate family. Now we have a compassionate family. Notice this. 
Mary just finds out she's going to have a baby. And what does she do? She, she heads to Judah. Now, you have to realize that Judah from Galilee and Nazareth was about 70, 80 miles. And this was before cars. This was before subways, before puddle jumper airplanes and all these things. This would have taken Mary three or four days. And Mary, even though the angel just met her, says she's going to have a child, Mary goes to see Elizabeth. When a crisis pregnancy happens, what most people don't have is a compassionate family. The reason people don't have the help they need is because when crisis happens, you really know who's there for you and who isn't. And oftentimes, especially with the shame of teenage pregnancy, parents are not there. As if by being angry about it, you can undo what's making you upset. But Elizabeth and Mary, they, there's a relationship there. There's a, a compassionate family where Mary goes this 80, 100 miles and she visits Elizabeth. And when she, when she comes on in and Mary greets Elizabeth, we find that the babe leapt in Elizabeth's womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. So when, upon hearing Mary's voice, two things happened. John the Baptist, who's going to be the child of Zacharias and Elizabeth, leapt in Elizabeth's womb, and, and, and that happened, and then Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. When was the last time a concerning greeting in a crisis pregnancy end with people starting to get filled with the Spirit? See, this is how God transforms horrible situations if we'll give him room to move. Because now all of a sudden, this is all rough, but God is, is doing something here. Look at verses 42 to 45. Then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leapt in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. So you have a compassionate family that ends up with the praise of faith. The praise of faith. Now, I want you to notice this. Because we find out that Elizabeth is filled with the Spirit, and then she pronounces three beatitudes on Mary. Notice them. Each a beatitude. Remember from Matthew chapter 5? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They call those the beatitudes. Notice what you have. Three beatitudes. Blessed are you among women. Verse 42. And then, blessed is the fruit of your womb. And then verse 45. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. Brothers and sisters, if you're filled with the Spirit like Elizabeth was, we should pronounce blessings. Our words should be blessing words, kind words. Jesus is real. The role of Mary as the mother of Jesus is often misinterpreted, as we heard today. She's the mother of Jesus' humanity. But she's also a beautiful example of submission. Mary, in a difficult situation, submitted herself to God and said yes. God is doing some amazing things here at Crossroads Community Church. And I'm so thankful for what God is doing right here on Jesus' Real Radio. It's my prayer that each day when you join us, that Jesus truly is becoming more real in your life. 
I want to invite you to join us at Crossroads Community Church this Sunday live. We stream all of our services live on the internet. Sundays 9 and 11, 15 Pacific Standard Time or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. as well as Encore services. All of our services are there for people who can't make it to be with us live at church. So please join us at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Yes, we do encourage you to join us for one of the worship services at Crossroads Community Church. Log on to Jesus Is Real Radio and follow the links to the live stream. Next time on Jesus Is Real Radio, we'll continue this study about the amazing entry of the Savior into the world. As Pastor Daniel takes us through Mary and Joseph's journey as they near the birth of the Son of God. You've been listening to Jesus Is Real Radio with Pastor Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. Pastor Daniel will continue teaching through his series entitled Jesus at Street Level. Next time, until then, may God bless.